I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 217. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me is a special guest, Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. At least you didn't call me Randy. I hate when that happens. (laughs) That's a good point. It's an inside joke, guys. (laughs) So is the special guest. Hey, if you are a PR person and you want to contact the Beauty Brains, we're actually co-hosts. <laughs> and my name is Valerie, not Randy. That's right. So on today's show, we're going to be answering questions about whether Kiehl's Eye Alert products actually helps make the eyes look better, what the best product to use to avoid breakouts and have anti-aging benefits are, what we think about the technology of the new Victoria Beckham line, and what we think is the oldest beauty product on the market today. And of course, we also have some beauty science news too. But before we get to that, I haven't seen you in a while, Valerie. How are things going with this big lockdown? Oh, same old. We just got news that we're extended another couple weeks in Los Angeles to May 15th. Wow. So not going to get my hopes up. I think it'll go later than that. Yeah, well, at least you have that nice warm weather. Today was 30 degrees in Chicago. It was snowing. Oh, Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Well, it was a gorgeous day in Los Angeles today. I actually did have to run an errand for work. I had to go pick up some fragrance samples that arrived from the lab. And I just remember looking up at the sky with the warm sun hitting my face and saying, man, today is a gorgeous day. And I remember being in L.A. in January. That was nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty nice. That's why I moved here. You know, Valerie, I was uh, taking a peek at your little Instagram uh, account, which you're building up very nicely. What are you, uh, cosmetic underscore chemist or something like that? Yes, I am. And for those of you guys who don't follow me, I basically just post stuff about what it's like to be a cosmetic chemist and different areas that cosmetic chemists touch. And I also sometimes frequently discuss my obsession with coffee. (laughs) Well, it was that obsession with coffee, which got me uh, thinking, you know, uh, I saw that Insta story you mentioned about cleaning your lab equipment and you you put in there that you obsessively clean your coffee maker every time Mm -hmm. you use it. Mm -hmm. And then that prompted me to look into, I use this, I, I, I make tea. I'm not a coffee person. I drink tea. But I use this uh, hot water heater, and it's an electric thing. You fill the water up. An electric kettle? Sure. Something like that. Yeah. Those are great. Yeah, and I love it. And then I looked in there, and it's like all this green crud in there. (laughs) Oh, wow. I haven't cleaned it ever. So what do you think that green crud is, and how do you clean that out? Well, typically when you have scale buildup, it's actually white in color mm. and it is uh, essentially just the elements in the water, the calcium, the magnesium, essentially forming a lime crust on on the, yeah. the metal material. If it's green, part of me is thinking some sort of mildew, but it could actually be copper that has precipitated from some it- elements either in your house water or from the actual instrument itself. But the the copper, if it is copper, has um, encrusted in the scale and formed a patina. Yeah, I got to figure it's it's copper. It's it's not 
mildew or anything. I, yeah, I use it yeah. all the time. And but, yeah. yeah, my my well, wife told me that I have to wash it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think uh, once you know elements exist in the water, it's just natural. Or right, when you're yeah. using an instrument like an electronic, uh, excuse me, electric tea kettle, it is important to maintain it. And typically, when you descale, you can use a vinegar and water solution, huh. and you would just essentially. Uh, throw some vinegar with water, boil it in the kettle, let it sit, boil it a second time, and then pour it out. And some of that scale buildup should come out. So then you don't use that water for tea then, right? (laughs) (laughs) Not the question I was expecting, but no, you don't. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it'll taste a little tangy, I imagine, right? (laughs) Free crunchies. (laughs) All right, why don't we move on to beauty science news. That was uh, that was Household Cleaner Talk. That's a new show that we're working on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why don't we get to the oh, beauty man. products? Well, Valerie, I was reading the trades today. Uh, I love reading the trades. And yeah, there's some good stuff in there sometimes. I had to sift through all of the... The COVID virus stories and the uh, hand sanitizer stories and all of the yeah. CBD launches to find this gem uh, from Fakai. Oh, good old Fakai, yeah. Yeah, that Fakai has launched a new beauty technology for customized hair care. So in conjunction, I, apparently they relaunched in January. I feel like they've done 40 relaunches like in the last <laughs> 10 years, but that's fine. It's fine. Oh, you know, you, you have to relaunch hair. I mean, you have to say to yourself, now, in retrospect, was 2020, just before this big pandemic, the best time to relaunch? I don't know. But but you never know, right? So they, in conjunction with their brand relaunch, what they did do is they've introduced a thing called Fakai. Fakai? I don't... What? <laughs> Fakai, but F E K K dot A I. Don't don't listen to how Perry's pronouncing <laughs> that. Right. Otherwise, so it sounds like he's he's damning AI to no, no, hell that's for a, all no. eternity. <laughs> so it's Fek AI. Okay. Uh, so anyway, it's a beauty technology software platform. I just wonder what the marketing meeting was when they were coming up with the name <laughs> for this. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. that is that is not to say anything about the product. It's an interesting name. It's a software platform designed to give customers personalized hair care. So yeah. you go through and you answer this quiz, you upload a selfie, and then the, the FEC AI will analyze your hair type with the length, the color, etc. And then it spits out a suggestion for your hair care regime, along with suggestions on uh, products of theirs to buy, of course. Now... I know there are other brands that have this AI and they talk about big data technology and Oh yeah, they're not the first and they're not the last to come out with No, that it's sure. and it's they talk about the customization of hair and but one of the interesting things that I saw with theirs that I hadn't seen before is that they take into consideration the customer's location and the time of year to make recommendations. So they say that this allows them to consider things like the pH of the water level, which I'm not sure how they get the pH based on where you are. Uh, yeah, is that publicly reportable I, information? It, maybe, I don't know. And then they have the UV index, which I guess you can get that, right? Because mm-hmm, you just look mm-hmm. at the weather. And then they take into consideration how that is going to impact your hair. So they have a quiz, and I was like, well, oh, let me take this quiz and see how see how it goes. I was yeah, just I love curious. a good quiz. Yeah. So I went through. I took the quiz, 
So what you do is you have to take a picture, and I took a picture. It was a selfie. They had a thing right on the website. And they told me that my hair was short, straight, and black. Uh, it is short and straight, but it certainly isn't black. So, uh, you know, I have brown hair, so I had to go through and fix that. But they allow you to fix it. And then they asked me what my hair goals were. <laughs> and I had to stop and go, uh, I, I've never really thought about what are my hair you goals. You don't have hair goals? I, I don't. Well, I mean, in retrospect, I was thinking like, well, I, one goal is don't lose it. <laughs> and then the other goal is maybe keep it brown. I, I don't know. I've never really thought about hair goals. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely have hair goals. But I also have this gorgeous mane. <laughs> this is why we need you on the show. <laughs> so, now, you know what's funny? So I thought of my hair goals, don't lose it and keep it brown. And neither of we, these were <laughs> options of hair goals that I could have picked. <laughs> I don't know. They had things like fight frizz and healthy shine and, and moisturize. So I, I don't know. I guess I need more hair goals or something. Yeah, I actually um, took the quiz as well. I didn't upload a picture. I uh, chose not to do that. I also used a fake name just in case they are listening to the show. And um, I I just actually had to manually fill out the options instead of it it guessing it. Oh, well, it it guessed mine. You know, so it automatically told me where I spend most of my time. Uh, So I didn't even tell my location. (laughs) It's like, hey, you're in Chicago (laughs) a lot. (laughs) Like, Wow. Were they using your IP address somehow? They must have. I mean, how else would Feck AI know that I am They're watching you. They're watching you, Perry. Um, So that felt a little creepy, but, you know, that's technology. And the results came out that I should use the Fakai Brilliant Gloss Shampoo Conditioner and Multitasker Perfecting Cream, which was only 60 bucks worth of product. <laughs> and you like this. It was an 8-ounce uh, shampoo and conditioner. Now, 8.5 ounces I can get behind. I think that's a minimum size yeah, for yeah. a shampoo and a conditioner. It, it's, it's, it's good. That, yeah, that, that 6-ounce one we were talking about last week was a, yeah. a little a little No light. good. Well, did did you buy the products? No, no, I, I, you know, I, I, I still just use body wash and use it all over. <laughs> so. These things are a waste of me. But I do oh, wonder dear. if there's anything to this AI. I mean, the whole thing felt more like one of those choose your own adventure books, or you just follow the, you know, the, the, the answers, and it's going to spit out something. And so I just wonder how much impact does AI really have at all on this. And really, I wonder, even given all of this data and this big this big data and this picture collection that they're doing, is there really anything they could tell you about your hair products that would be different than use a shampoo and a conditioner? Well, I think when it's done this way and you're just taking some sort of questionnaire, I think it is a good guide. It reminds me of those quizzes in Seventeen Magazine I used to do where it's like, find out who's right for you and, and you would... <laughs> You know, if you answered mostly A's, it's this and that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's a little bit of that. So I think it can be helpful to help you identify your goals and go there. Artificial intelligence can do a whole lot more. I don't think Fakai is taking advantage of it on this platform. Yeah, I am working a little bit in this space. That's public information if, if you know what I do and who I work for and stuff. But 
there is potential. I, I just don't think they tapped into all of it. And maybe that was just a sneaky peeky at what they're doing. Yeah, well, I think also it's it's early on in adapting AI and, and big data and collection uh, of yeah. information and adapting it to formulations. Because I don't think – it's not like they're customizing the formula. They have six or seven or some number of SKUs already – and they're going to take that data and direct you to one of those SKUs. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they're definitely not the first brand to do that. I think uh, Clinique did it way long ago. I remember going to the, to the department store and they had these sliders and you would like slide your answer on every question and it would line up in this little window box and you could get recommended on what your skin type was and what products you should be oh. buying. And I know uh, one of my mentors, even in the 70s, he worked on a technology like this that got bought by Clairol mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, answering these questions and making predictive uh, results about your beauty. So it's definitely not new. I think just the way that we're getting introduced to it is new. So more, I definitely think more to come in this area. It reminds me of the old Salon Selectives line, which was very popular when I started in the industry. But Salon Selectives was like, you pick two things and then you could match them and... You uh-huh. would get your, yeah, it's a, it a whole kind of thing. Well, it's oh, interesting yeah. to see where this feck AI goes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Not how it's pronounced, everyone, but that's fine. Tomato, okay. tomato. Right. Yeah. I'm from Chicago. Well, that's I... our accent. I don't... <laughs> yeah. Well, I am uh, continuing to boycott beauty news. I'm not, I'm not boycotting it and not looking oh. at it. You know, I, I read the Wall Street Journal every day. And I do uh, peruse all of the trade publications. I just, you know, there's so much going on about COVID and hand sanitizer. Like, I literally can't take it anymore. So <laughs> I'm just choosing not to to pick and report. And it's kind of like whatever. But um, yeah, we did get some listener in the mail. And I thought I could, I could do that for today's episode. That's right. This is reference to something we talked about on a previous show. Yeah. So on our last episode, someone said, hey, can coronavirus stick to your hair and and stay with you? What do I do about it? And, you know, we've recommended some frequent shampooing if you're concerned. And Audrey, one of our loyal listeners, wrote, Hi, all. I just wanted to suggest that not all of us have the kind of hair and scalp that can take washing every day. I am African-American, and my super curly 3C hair would be destroyed by a daily washing, even with good conditioners. Not to mention natural styles often take a very long time to wash, condition, dry, and style. We cannot always just wash and wear. There are also people with scalp conditions that cannot take a daily washing with shampoo. Would a scarf or head wrap or do-rag or hat work for the essential foray outside? They can then be bagged and washed after a person comes home. I just hate to have one more thing to be unnecessarily anxious about during this pandemic. Thank you for your show and breaking down the science behind beauty. Best, Audrey. Yeah, well, it is a good point. Not, I mean, yeah. we kind of talked about that, about the – because the question last time was about whether the virus can stick on your hair and whether you should yeah. wash your hair every day. And I guess our advice was that all things being equal, yeah, you should probably wash your hair. Yeah, if you're worried about it. But I am anti-washing hair every day just yeah. because even my scalp, I have flakes, and um, it just it just cannot be washing washed every day. I also have like a, an enormous amount of hair, and it's just really annoying to wash and dry. Yeah, yeah. And 
I mean, style's not even part of the equation because I just kind of let it let it be, which if you are on any Zoom or Microsoft Teams calls, you'll see it. But um, yeah, no, I think that's an excellent recommendation. And thank you for bringing that back to our attention that not everyone does or not everyone wants to. And I think if you do apply, I mean, we're applying masks to our face, right? Not Why not apply a scarf to your head and then just take it off and, and wash it? I think that's an excellent solution. Thanks, Audrey, so much for bringing that up to us. All right, shall we move on to beauty questions? Yeah. Look, we have an audio question. Hello, beauty brains. This is Frank from Los Angeles. I recently saw a product, Kiehl's Eye Alert, which is supposed to energize the skin and uh, fight the look of fatigue and combat dark circles. And it does this through, among other ingredients, caffeine. So my question is, can caffeine be applied topically to the skin and does it produce any effects? And if I use this product at night, is that going to keep me up? Well, thank you for that question, Frank. This is about the Kiehl's Eye Alert product. Now, I have to say, I in searching for this product, I found that Kiehl's has recently discontinued the product. So, so yeah. This, to uh, be fair, though, Frank O did ask this question a long time ago. It got lost in our audio files. <laughs> I actually told Perry I would take care of answering it because I I thought it was a very interesting question and I, I got lost in a research hole. I have like 40 research papers on caffeine and, and skin saved up and then they discontinue the product. So Frank, we are, we are very, I'm very sorry. But I think this idea of uh, some products for uh, addressing the dark circles under eyes is not going away. Uh, people had been definitely ask- not going away, even if this product went away. Right. People have been asking us questions about this on the beauty brand since we first started. It was, and one of the big questions. Uh, there are a few things that have been talked about to be uh, applicable for uh, dark circles under the eye. One of the main ones that you see is vitamin K. Now, vitamin K is is thought to affect the microcirculation of the blood under the skin, and since the eyes, the skin under the eyes is uh, thinner than you'll have it in other places in the body, it's thought that the idea is that that's going to help to reduce the dark circles under the eye. I've looked at some of the science on that. It, it's not very compelling to me. Um, so I remain skeptical. The vitamin K that. would have to be bio, bioavailable, right? Like it's an oil-soluble vitamin, yes. and I don't know how easily that could penetrate into the skin. Right. And in looking at this Eye Alert product, they don't even have vitamin K in it, which vitamin K is like one of the main treatments for dark circles under the eyes. They do, however, have what you were talking about, caffeine. Caffeine and if you look at the way that they worded their claims, it's it's not surprising that uh, well, people ended up being disappointed with the product. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say. Oh. But okay, yeah. No, it's like, you know. the, the claims are very, um, you could tell they were worded by somebody who worked for a legal department and they wanted to make sure they were, <laughs> they were couched yeah. in... Not making anything, making something sounded really 
strong, but not making it so strong they couldn't prove it. Let's go, let's go through some of them because I think the way they worded the caffeine one is extremely interesting. And, you know, all the time my marketing department is like, how can this other brand say this about this ingredient? And I'm like, look really carefully at the way they worded the claim. It literally means nothing. And I think that's one of the reasons that I wanted to cover this question, even though the product, you, you know, you can probably get it on Amazon or something, but it's been discontinued, is when you are looking at beauty products, you have to really look at the way the claims are worded, not necessarily how they read when you first just run through it, right? And so let's look at some of the claims. Uh, they say the product is made with cooling extracts to energize and hydrate the thinner skin of the eye area. Now, the, the words energize, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, that's a term that beauty product companies will use. But what does that really even mean? It's energizing. It's like it's metaphorical. We call it essentially that's kind of a puffery claim. So nobody really expects that to mean much. So it doesn't really mean anything, although it feels like it means something, doesn't it? Energizing. <laughs> It feels good, and certainly the cream could hydrate, so I don't know if we want to dispute that. No, no, it's certainly hydrating is, uh, you know, you can demonstrate moisturization, and I have no doubt that this product is going to provide moisturization. The next one they say is it has a potent blend of vitamins and caffeine that fights fatigue, which, uh, I mean, caffeine, when you drink it, I, I suppose you could say, it, I mean, it is a drug, it does fight fatigue, yeah. I don't know how that applies to something you're putting on your face, <laughs> but that's just a statement about caffeine. It's not about whether you when you put this on, it's it's not fighting your personal fatigue when it's topically applied. Uh and then they say with regular use, skin appears strengthened. So it appears strengthened. I mean, it doesn't actually have to be strengthened. It just has to look that way. <laughs> and and the, yeah. And the look of fine dehydration lines is reduced. Another classic cosmetic claim is the appearance uh, is reduced. Uh, not that they actually are reduced. It just appears reduced. And it's dehydration lines, right. not necessarily like deep wrinkles and stuff like that. Exactly. So, but you put the word lines in there that seems like wrinkles and, you know, people can sort of make that connection. But here's the caffeine claim. They say the caffeine is an alkaloid. It is known for its stimulating properties. It is. True. And true. Mm -hmm. in, in our formulas, it is known to help reduce the appearance of under eye puffiness. The key being it is known to. <laughs> right. It's just like, ah, caffeine, that's known to do something, right? Right, and that so really loops in anecdotal evidence. Yeah, exactly. And so, if you were in a court of law and you had to prove, hey, can you prove this claim? It is known to help reduce the appearance of under eye puffiness. All you have to do is go into literature and say, ah, here somebody claimed that it reduced, you know, the appearance of under eye puffiness, and that would sort of be your legal defense and so you could probably get away with a claim like that that doesn't say that it's going to give you that benefit but if you say that to people and then they try the product and especially after spending you know 22 dollars for uh, i don't know a, a half ounce container that is something that people will tend to see that they also had cucumber extract in there and this is just a, a spa treatment, right? People go into a spa and they put cucumbers yeah. on their eyes, right? <laughs> no, they do not. But if, 
I see it all the time. What are you talking about? You see that in pictures all the time. I have never had somebody put cucumbers on my peepers. Are you kidding me? Like, I just sometimes on a Saturday afternoon, I'll just cut a couple of cucumbers and put them on my eyes. You saying that it's not doing anything? Oh, my God. Everyone, please stop Perry. Please stop him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And then is it bad that after I do that, I eat the cucumber slices? Because I really do like cucumbers. (laughs) Oh, help me. Well, Frank, um, I think the bottom line is this this product is it's going to be a nice moisturizer for your under your eyes. But I wouldn't expect it to combat the dark circles or, or do much for puffiness either. And I do just want to go back to caffeine a little bit because what really got me down this rabbit hole was we had also, I think, received a couple other caffeine questions. Really, there's not a lot of evidence that caffeine can can do a whole lot for the skin. I think because of the effects it has in ingestion, we try to extrapolate that to how it works in skincare. And I just couldn't find anything super conclusive in that area. Additionally, a lot of people ask, hey, like, will caffeine keep me awake if I apply it in my skincare products? I think Frank's worried about that too, perhaps. And uh, I couldn't find any evidence of that either. That That's really what, what got me was, well, can that happen? And I know people are selling uh, caffeine mists uh, that you just spray onto your skin and they Does it have sunscreen in it? no no but they they say spray this spray on your skin it'll keep you awake and i just uh, i couldn't find any evidence about the transdermal diffusion of caffeine and its effects on stimulating the mind so uh not that that it can't happen it just you know i don't know so i guess if you have a night cream that has caffeine in it i don't think you should be worried that it's keeping you awake now uh, if, if you're concerned, I would just avoid it. If you have a heart condition and, you know, caffeine is an absolute no-no for you. Again, I don't know that it can diffuse into your bloodstream, but I would just avoid it and certainly consult your medical doctor. Right, right. Uh, but I think the main the main thing is that the caffeine that's applied topically, it's not getting into your bloodstream to any significant extent. Well, Frank, thanks for forgiving us, or me at any rate. I'm sorry. Ten, ten months later. That just demonstrates <laughs> that if you record a voice question, send it into the beautybrains at gmail.com. We do get to it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A little side story. I once, um, I answer every email. Okay. I don't ignore them. I just, if I'm not responding, it's because I'm not getting to them. And I once emailed this guy a project he asked for seven months later, just like, Hey, do you have any information on viscosity data and blah, blah, blah. Seven months later, I emailed it to him and he responded, thanks. But I worked on that was when I was an intern, I actually work here now and that's not a real project. And I was like, okay, thanks. Yeah. My lesson learned. At least you answered. (laughs) Yeah. Well, our second question comes from Norma Jean. Can you tell me what you think of the following two products ingredients and which you'd recommend for sensitive skin that is avoiding breakouts yet wants anti-aging? I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. Well, thanks, Norma Jean. So Norma Jean asked about two specific products. First, the Clinique Even Better Skin Tone Correcting Lotion Broad Spectrum SPF 20 and Avon's 
a new Skinvincible Day Lotion SPF 50. And I wanted to go through the claims of each product just so we can see what the manufacturer says they're designed for. We'll post the ingredient listings in the show notes so you can take a look at that yourself. And I'll surmise whether or not which one I would use if my skin was prone to breakouts and I wanted some anti-aging benefits. And then I think, you know, Perry, we can go back and forth on like, if you have sensitive skin, meaning sensitive to breakouts, not sensitive to extracts or allergens and that kind of stuff. And we can talk about ingredients that maybe you would avoid. Yeah, yeah. So the Clinique Even Better Skin Tone Correcting Lotion Broad Spectrum SPF 20 is an oil-free moisturizing lotion formulated specifically for those with oilier skin types. The specialized ingredients break apart surface darkening and exfoliate it away for an even complexion and prevent future damage with high-level UVA, UVB defense. Instantly, skin is left bright, radiant, and beautiful. Well, that's great. The brand specifically calls out if you have oilier skin types. It doesn't say, are you prone to breakouts, use it. But I think it implies that if you have oilier skin, use it. It does help with anti-aging and de- uh, depigmentation so that you have a more even complexion and brighter skin. And then you get the SPF protection, which is the best anti-aging ingredient possible. So just looking at that, I would say absolutely. And looking at their formula, I think it has a lot of stuff in it. Probably if you actually have sensitive skin that's prone to redness or sensitive to plant extracts, I wouldn't use it. Uh, But it does have a broad spectrum SPF protection. I don't understand why they put all of these extracts and stuff in there. It was a bit much, right? I was like, like, eh. Don't don't yeah. these aren't these people minimalist formulators? <laughs> no, <laughs> max maximum formulators. Right. So, uh, the, and the problem with putting all these extracts in is it's just like you're putting everything but the kitchen sink in it. It's like if you took one out, you wouldn't even notice it because you they can't all be doing something, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I did know a little bit of salicylic acid in there. It's obviously below the one percent line, which yeah. doesn't mean a lot with salicylic acid because you can still have less than 1% and have some efficacy. So I think that's really good. Uh, The one negative um, that I I think is interesting, SPF ingredients that are, I know you hate this term, the chemical sunscreens. Consumers know what I mean when I mention that. The non-titanium dioxide, non-zinc oxide sunscreen ingredients, they intrinsically feel oily. So when people claim their product is oil-free, I always say, yeah, technically it's oil-free, but you right. have things that feel oily in there. So I, I never like that. That's a big marketing term. But I think that, you know, Clinique is owned by a very large parent company, and they're probably doing all the testing to say, you know what, it's formulated for oily skin types, which could just mean they threw some stuff in there that helps with oily skin uh, but the other claims, I think they could substantiate. So I would consider this one a maybe. I mean, I look at their main main occlusive ingredient is dimethicone. They use that instead of petrolatum. And so that's going to be less oily, you know. And they don't have mineral oil in here. They use ch- ch- trisiloxane. Mm-hmm. They have glycerin in there. I, I mean, so I think it's going to feel less oily, you know, so... As less oily as it can with the sunscreen agents. Now, the Avon Anew Skinvincible Day Lotion SPF 50 
whoa, 50. <laughs> you know, yeah, when I go nice. golfing, I, I use, that's probably the main time when I use sunscreen is when I go golfing. And I use like a 50. And boy, SPF 50s are just really heavy on your skin. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, this one says, protect yourself against the visible effects of environmental skin damage while healing from past injury. Oh. I'd like to call the FDA on them. <laughs> Smart repair technology restores your youthful look by minimizing the look of environmental skin damage. This day lotion has been formulated with our most advanced antioxidant complex and our highest SPF available, broad spectrum SPF 50. Suitable for sensitive skin and targets dehydrated skin and wrinkles. Yeah, interesting. Well, they use uh, five different SPF filters in here. Which is not, not unreasonable, I guess. It's to get I their... think it's on like the big end, though. You oh, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and they might have done that to help balance out the feel of the sunscreen. Um, there could be a lot of reasons they did that. Now, this formula also appears to be low in the oils, let's say, but they do have, uh, you know, a butter in there, coconut butter, coconut seed butter, I should say, and some silicones as well. What I noticed about this specific formula, again, um, it may be quote unquote oil free, but it still may feel oily due to the sunscreen agents. Oh yeah, it's going to feel oily. Yeah. Oh yeah. The silicones that they put in there. And what I like about the other one, I guess I should say, if you are concerned about breakouts, is that they do have the salicylic acid in there. Again, is it at a high enough level? I don't know. It could be to have some benefit. But I I do, I don't know, I, I'm just feeling the other one a whole lot better. This one may feel less oily just because the first ingredient after water is propane diol. I don't know. What are you thinking, Perry? I just think... Whenever you have an SPF 50, it's going to feel heavy just because of those sunscreens. Yeah. Now they're going to, they try to mitigate it, but I look at this formula. Uh, yeah, they have propane diol and dimethicone, but then they put in coconut seed butter. That's, yeah. uh, that's going to be, feel a little heavy. Um, yeah, I just look at all of the ingredients that they have in here. Uh, you know, they're fatty alcohols. There are other humectants, and I just think that when people use this product, they're going to feel that it's on their skin. It's not going to be light. Whereas the other one, while it had uh, you know a ton of extracts, you can just sort of erase those because they're they're not too yeah. much in there, and and it's it's a much more simple formula. But then again, it's only SPF twenty. Um, so if I was choosing between the two of these products, like which one would I want on my skin more? I would say it was the, uh, the Clinique product. I'd go for the Clinique one too. The other thing is while the Avon says it's suitable for sensitive skin, that may uh, be sensitivity for other things, not sensitivity to breakouts, uh, for sure. And it appears to be targeting dehydrated skin and wrinkles more, whereas the Clinique product is really focused on uh, keeping skin uh, bright, radiant, improving skin tone, and it's formulated specifically for those for oily skin types. So I'm thinking the Clinique one may be your better option. Yeah, but it's yeah. going to be a uh, it's a subjective thing, you know. Try them out, see which one you like better. Yeah, you definitely have to try them. But I will say, I don't think you'll have any demonstrable benefit of using the 50 SPF over the 20, just because you have to apply them 
every so often. And I think there's a chart, Perry, maybe we could find it and post it in the show notes, but essentially if you're using an SPF 20 versus 30 versus 50, you're not getting that much more benefit in SPF protection. It's extremely incremental. So you you might as well just go with the 20 could feel lighter and better on your skin and you'll have at least a little salicylic acid in there to help. And be sure to wear a hat. All right, shall yeah. we move on to the next? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shall we move on to the next question? Another, it's another audio question. Hi, Beauty Brains. This is Trisha from Seattle. Victoria Beckham has a new skincare line that includes a primer and just now a new released serum that features the TFC8 technology by Augustinus Botter that claims to. Uh, create an optimal environment for the body's natural process of repair and renewal. And it talks about how it creates a healthy skin barrier and makes some pretty amazing claims, as well as a very high price tag. What do you think about this product, and is there any evidence? Thank you. Love your show. Wow. Uh, Victoria Beckham came out with a, a line. Like I always wonder why these celebrities come out with lines because, you know, don't you have enough money already? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess she likes to work. She's a true entrepreneur, right? Of course, of course. I mean, if you had a reputation and you could launch a line, because you could probably make, you could convince enough people to try your products because people connect with the brand story and if you have a character that helps to anchor that story you can drum up a lot of customers and you know what the reality is you can create a pretty good product anybody can create a pretty good product so somebody likes victoria beckham they'll try her product she'll probably produce a perfectly fine product but let's take a look at this product here the product that they had launched features this TFC8 technology. Victoria Beckham collaborated with a doctor, this Professor Augustinus Bader, a longtime pioneer of stem cell research, who apparently <laughs> has spent 30 years developing his patented TFC8 technology, and it is a revolutionary formula that supports the body's own renewal process. There's that claim supports, right? <laughs> Which doesn't really mean anything. Like, what does that mean? And with regular use, apparently it leaves the skin stronger and healthier while reducing the appearance of fine lines and minimizing pores. Which, they, they seem like pretty weak claims to me, right? I think they have to just because anything stronger would put this in the drug realm and they just can't do that. But I... I do want to say one thing before we go further about Augustina Spada, okay? <laughs> I, I really suppress my my fake German-American accent uh, when gotcha. I read about him. So he really is a distinguished scientist. I know, you know, we make fun of a lot of these expensive brands and stuff like that. But he actually has done a lot of research in the medical field with uh, tissue cultures and stem cells and uh, tissue engineering so he he pretty is pretty esteemed in that sense and you know he's worked on this technology he's created this line i i'm assuming based on the price he's in, incredibly rich but uh anyway i do just want to let people know this isn't like maybe some other doctors that have created really expensive serums that cost $800 per ounce um he actually is extremely distinguished uh in the in the research world 
Yeah, but I think what's important to note is that if you you can be successful in the basic research and science of an area, yeah, that does not necessarily mean that that research is ready to be converted into a beauty product realm. And mm-hmm. you see this with products that are directed to the microbiome or products uh, that try to use stem cell technology. There's very interesting science in both stem cells and the microbiome and uh, what's the other one, epigenetics. These are they're very interesting things going on in science, but they are so, so new. Our, our knowledge about them is not developed to the point where we can start taking discoveries from those areas and applying them to your skincare products. Now, Professor, uh, what'd you say, Botter? Because I said Bader. But that's <laughs> Botter, like, yeah. yeah. Right? Anyway, I mean, he's, he's, he's done the work and he's come out with this, he's got a patent and we, we know the great science that goes into patents. <laughs> if you guys did not listen to our last episode, Perry did mention that you when you're creating a patent, you just have to provide some proof that you did the work to lay the foundation for your claim, but it doesn't necessarily have to be really good science. (laughs) Well, let's look at what this science of this is. So what's this TFC8 technology? It's described as a complex of natural amino acids, which, you know, everybody can come out with natural amino acids. And then it has these high-grade vitamins. I I don't know what high-grade vitamins are. I mean, everybody has vitamins. And then these synthesized molecules that are naturally found in skin, which guides key nutrients and powerful natural ingredients to the skin cells. Now, see, that's where you're starting to get into drug claims and cosmeceuticals Mm -hmm. and stuff. And then it says it creates this optimal environment for the body's innate processes of repair and renewal, which is a lot of words which don't mean a lot and yeah i just yeah i don't know what that means i mean the but the claims you have to understand the way that they're making these claims is they can't really say what they want to say what they want to say is that this product is going to rebuild your skin and give you young looking skin but if you can't you can't say that because that's that would make it an illegal drug and so you sort of have to talk around it creating the env- optimal environment. And the thing is, you would be hard-pressed to find uh, a benefit using this product over some of your standard moisturizing products, I, I would say. I Now, mm-hmm. I have not done a test where I compared side-by-side side with a group of, <laughs> of consumers this, this product versus another. However, I did look at the full list of ingredients, and we get the first ingredient is water. Okay. The next ingredient is glycerin, and then there's diglycerin. So now, I mean, those are pretty standard ingredients, right? Yeah. And then they have other things that you see with other products, niacinamide, uh, panthenol, sodium hyaluronate. I mean, these are all the standard stuff that you see in anti-aging products, and so there's nothing about this product that I would expect would be different from other anti-aging products. One of the things I did find interesting about this is their claims. And they one of the things that they relied on very heavily was consumer opinions about products. Interesting. <laughs> the proof behind Power Serum is that 100% of people analyzed showed significant improvement in their skin barrier function after 
just one use. And then they had a whole list of other claims that they asked them about, and they said 97% of people agreed that their skin looked less wrinkly, and uh, you know, 80% of people said that their skin looked like it was more moisturized. And uh, they had a list of about six or seven claims where they just supported it with the, the, the people that they asked, what is your opinion about your skin? That doesn't really tell you whether the skin was actually improved or not. Just people felt it was. Mm-hmm. Now, that's one way that people support claims. It's not a very compelling one to me, but to some people it is compelling. But the bottom line is I look at the science of this product and I look at the price tag and I say, well, it's a little out of my reach for, for buying it. I don't think you're going to get the benefit from it. Yeah, you know, I've looked at it and I just, it, it's really tough for me to justify even purchasing it to test. I just am not sure. And I buy a lot of products, guys. I, I can promise you that. I just don't know if I could, I could bite the bullet on this one. Like, I don't mind to go into Blue Mercury and, and squirt a little bit and my hands out of the tester. Uh, but I just, yeah, it's it's a lot of money to invest. But if you're buying it and you love it and, you know, you have the means to do that, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, the one thing I, d- I did find interesting about this line is that they have, as an ingredient listing, TFC-8 in their full ingredient list. Right, I thought that too. Uh, That's actually not a valid inky name, the International Nomenclature for Cosmetic Ingredients. It's standardized names around the world. And if you're a raw material manufacturer, you have to apply for them. And it just helps the consumer identify the type of chemistry that the ingredient is using to identify the ingredient for any um, adverse issues. And TFC-8 is not, at least in the PCPC ingredient database. I did look that up, yeah. That's that, hmm. I I did see that that was that was interesting. So, you know, if you had some experience with this, let us know. But uh, boy, it was like two hundred bucks for a few ounces, which eh, seemed yeah. a little pricey to me. I'll start with testers first. <laughs> you know, right, I'm are... curious. In this in these days post pandemic, are there still going to be testers? Will people still use those sorts of things? Oh yeah. Oh, hundred hundred percent. I still will. <laughs> You know, but I also already have the coronavirus, so, you know, there's that. (laughs) That's right. That's a story for another show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, we got time for one more, huh? Our last one. Dear Beauty Brains, I love the show. Was that peppy enough? (laughs) That was pretty peppy, yeah. (laughs) I mean, for you. She had an exclamation point on it. For for you, you're not necessarily a peppy. (laughs) Sorry. Anyway, (laughs) I am currently reading War Paint about Helena Rubinstein and Elizabeth Arden. Ooh, that's, that book is on my to-read list. Anyway. You know, that was also a PBS documentary. I, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, yeah, check that out. Oh, I'll have to look it yeah. up. Great. Apparently, they're the creators of fear-mongering in cosmetics advertising. Interesting. It's got me wondering, what are some of the oldest skincare products in their original formulas still in the market? Thanks for the info. Rhonda from California. Rhonda's a makeup artist, by the way, who follows us on Instagram. That's where this question came from. So I think it's really hard to say what the oldest products are, whether it's skincare or makeup or hair care. It's really hard to say what are the oldest products in their original formulas still on the market today. Yeah. First of all, we don't know what people's formulas are. So that's, that's a little bit part of it. But 
I would just say it's probably unlikely that there are very many today that are still being manufactured with the OG formulas that they launched with. And it's for a few reasons. The first being raw materials are discontinued all the time by suppliers. So something that was available in 1970 may not be available today for a multitude of reasons. It could be uh, manufacturing restrictions. Sometimes older chemistries are not very efficient or they're not very green. So the supplier says, hey, can I make this ingredient a different way? And some of the byproducts end up being different or maybe they preserve it differently. Uh, Some ingredient suppliers preserve ingredients with formaldehyde and that's just a little taboo today. So a lot of raw material suppliers have phased that out and then the raw material changes and so forth. One of the things that's interesting is on that formaldehyde, when I started in the industry, the VO5 shampoo used formaldehyde as the preservative. That was a very common preservative in the 60s, 70s, and 80s for products like straight formaldehyde. Mm-hmm. One of the first projects that I worked on, and this was 1992 or something, was to remove the formaldehyde preservative from VO5 conditioner, which we did. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would mention is I have these old formulation books from like the 1930s or 1940s. Yeah, I have a couple. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the one of the ingredients that was commonly used was uh, spermaceti, which I think was derived from whales. <laughs> Yeah. So that's an ingredient that you're not going to see anymore. Yeah. Some of these technologies are just outdated. And honestly, because of just artifacts of consuming meat, you know, we've used animal byproducts to create ingredients. And over time, consumer demand has said, no, we want them from plants. So ingredients, the way they're made, what they're made from have just changed over time. And a lot of times technology just gets outdated. Yeah. Lastly, I think the biggest thing is whether it's the ingredient supplier and they're manufacturing their ingredient or the brand manufacturing their product, they have to make changes because first and foremost, regulations change. We just talked about the use of formaldehyde um, in products that's not allowed anymore. And so the formulations are just forced to change. In fact, reformulations is one of the biggest aspects of my job. It's not creating new products all the time. It's it's reformulating the stuff you have on the shelf for for a multitude of reasons. I've peeked back at what our formulas looked like back in the 80s uh-huh. and even the 90s, and the formulas look completely different. They still have the same performance because that's really key. You don't want to have your performance change. And when you reformulate it, you make sure people don't notice a performance difference. But the actual formulas are very different. And this is because some of the raw materials you just can't get anymore, but the majority of it is regulations. Another piece, though, is that when an ingredient gets a bad reputation in the cosmetic industry, if there is some convenient thing to change to, the cosmetic industry will just change out almost overnight. Parabens is the biggest one. For, for our brand was parabens. Right. But the problem with parabens is that there aren't like some easy thing that you can change to, right? I mean, yeah. people have changed to it, but all of the things that we've changed to are getting a bad reputation too. That makes – parabens are kind of a harder one, but I think of one of the ones that we went through was we used to use uh, Loramide DEA. DEAs yeah. used to be a great secondary surfactant, and they made yep. really nice foam. And then there was some report about it, you know, being nitrosamines and related to cancer. And overnight, every big player in the industry just said, oh, let's get rid of that one because we could use cocomethylpropylbetaine and we're out. <laughs> and it's yeah. it's sort of a myth that the cosmetic industry wants to use 
ingredients that are dangerous. If if an ingredient has a bad reputation, even a whiff of a bad right. reputation, it's yeah. done. So it's gone. Yeah. You just if take we can it out. get it out, if it's easily gotten out, we get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, I think from a product perspective, it's very difficult to know for a fact what hasn't changed. Because right, even yeah. if a brand told you it's never changed, chances are some aspect of it has. Maybe the performance hasn't changed, but certainly something has changed about it. So I was thinking, instead of looking at product, what we could definitely look at are companies. Yeah, and yeah. so, but before we get into that, Perry, what popped into my mind, I had two products that popped into mind when I said, what are the oldest formulas today on the market? And I thought bar soap, but I'm like, well, bar soap's not really a cosmetic. It's a yeah, soap. Yeah. Um, my second thought was the Nivea, their iconic cream. That That's so fantastic. I, d- I doubt that's changed much. Yeah, probably not. Uh, you know what I thought and- of? Was Chanel number five or that that perfume that's been oh around? interesting yeah it's been around forever right <laughs> like I bet you some of it has changed just because a lot of the raw materials I, used in fragrances or is it Chanel you number nine get, or you can't get anymore <laughs> I think it's Love Potion yeah. number nine Sebastian number nine right. Sebastian had a a product but, but it's anyway, been like to no, around sh- like a hundred years or something like that yeah the maybe the the consumer perception of the fragrance hasn't changed, but I bet you there's raw materials they can't get anymore. Oh yeah. They've used raw materials that are regulated. The perfume industry is always changing. Yeah. yeah. Um, One other product I thought of was Vaseline. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, literally it's petroleum jelly. I mean, that would be the only one to me. So, um, but let's look at some of the companies. I did pull this from a website and also I fact checked a couple of them, but uh, the oldest soap manufacturer is um that is still in existence today is Yardley London. I guess they supply soaps to the to the royal family. Oh, they okay. were founded in 1770, so there's our wow. soap company check. Yeah. <laughs> the one of the oldest skincare brands is Kiehl's. We mentioned them early in the show. They actually started out as a homeopathic pharmacy brand. So there's a pharmacy in Manhattan in 1851. They used to compound their own skincare remedies. I don't know when they actually launched in, into like a formal trendy brand, Interesting. Uh, but they do purport that some of their original products are still available today. I doubt they're using all of the original raw materials, but right, you can right. get some of their original products today. Mm-hmm. Vaseline was founded in 1872. That's when the patent was filed. There was a gentleman who worked in the oil fields and he saw this uh, substance be, you know, as a byproduct uh, being produced um, wherever he was working at refining everything. And he noted that a lot of people were using that to heal wounds uh, in the workplace. And so he filed a patent for petroleum jelly and that became Vaseline. In Asia, Shiseido was founded in 1872. That's still one of the oldest uh, brands in existence. Still a big company? Huge company. They, they've gobbled up a lot of really small brands, and I, I think they're one of the biggest in Asia. L'Oreal is probably famous for being one of the oldest hair companies, hair care companies. It was founded in 1909 by Eugene Schuler. Wow, they actually old. got their start in hair color. They didn't start working in hair care until 1928. Huh. Yeah. Wella was really close behind them. Wella actually was founded before L'Oreal. They were founded in 1880 and they started out 
under a different company name, but they were a wig manufacturer. And once wigs fell out of fashion, they started making other salon supplies and products, mostly uh, perms is what they're famous for. The name Wella comes from the German word for perm, which is Dauerwelle, which means like a long lasting wave. Sure, sure. And they just shortened it to Wella. They spell it a little differently, but they started focusing on waves in 1928, I think was their big commercial launch. And then they got into uh, tools and that kind of stuff, and then hair color and hair care. Nivea was founded in 1911, just as a fun fact. I obviously, I don't think it's one of the oldest ones, but I think uh, when I think old creams, I think Nivea. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it seems the same as when I was a kid in the 70s. Yeah, but you know, maybe they've taken a couple things out. Maybe they've changed the preservative system. But I think the most important thing has the performance changed. And the goal of any company when you're reformulating products is to keep the performance the same so consumers don't notice the difference. Yeah. It happens all the time. Uh, exactly. Actually, I wanted to note that one of the uh, things that I find interesting, if you if you have an interest in like the history of beauty products, there's a very cool website called makeupmuseum.org, yep. uh, which just goes through all of the old advertisements and all the old brands that have been around forever. It's, it's very cool. So check it out. Yeah. Aficionado for history. I think the history is really important. Uh, I have two mentors that I, I work closely with to this day, and I'm always asking them about what it was like in the old days. I think it's just, there's so much to learn. It's so interesting. Uh, one of my mentors, he was actually uh, the head of one of the first companies that used jojoba oil in hair care. Wow. And I was like, wait, there was a time when people, at least in commercial uh, companies, didn't use jojoba oil. And he's like, yeah, it just wasn't commercially available. And, it, you know, that kind of stuff just blows my mind. So check out makeupmuseum.org. It's, it's pretty cool. All right. It looks like, uh, boy, we talked the hell out of this show. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hey, if you get a chance, go over to iTunes and leave us a review. That will help other people find the show and ensure that we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at the Beauty Brains 2018. On Twitter, we're at the Beauty Brains, and we have a Facebook page. One more thing, the Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. This will help keep the show ad-free and is the best way to keep a financial bias out of the show. So if you like what we do and you want to see us keep doing it, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. We appreciate all of the patrons. And I was thinking maybe we could have a special webinar Q&A just for patrons. But we'll we'll let you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that would be special. We've talked about wanting to honor them and we really do appreciate it. You know, we're not rich from you guys really just helps support all the administrative costs of keeping a website and stuff like that. That stuff's not free. So thank you so much. Um, well, that's all we have, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.